Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Having failed to repeal and replace Obamacare, what do President Trump and Hill Republicans do to get back on track? Fred Barnes is here with some practical suggestions. And then we're going to talk with Ethan Epstein, who just got back from South Korea, where a president has just been ousted, relations with the United States are in a shambles, and a maniac dictator threatens from the North. What could go wrong? All that next on The Confab. We're going to get the confab rolling with Mr. Fred Barnes, Fred Barnes, executive editor of the Weekly Standard. Welcome to the confab. You know, Fred, uh, loyal listeners of the confab mm-hmm. will remember uh, almost two months ago uh, you were here in that very chair, in that very chair, at that very microphone, and you were saying that um, that all of this focus on the health care law to the exclusion of tax cutting was a mistake. Let's take a listen. Getting rid of Obamacare is what Republicans and Donald Trump want to do first. That's the, that's the top of their agenda. They're going to get into it uh, uh, at full swing, and then tax cuts, uh, that'll come later. I think they have it upside down. Fred Barnes, you've been vindicated. <laughs> and it is so sweet. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, by not doing what I suggested uh, the Trump White House, Republicans in Congress, and uh, the entire Republican Party across the country has taken a real kick in the butt. And it's going to be it's going to be hard to recover from that. But I think the way to recover from it now is to have a smaller tax cut uh, that the public will support and Democrats might be lured into a bipartisan approach. I'm I'm skeptical of that last bit. I know you are. I I, I saw you rolling your eyes there, but no, rolling my eyes. Well, right now, you know, the uh, all the pressure from the uh, Democratic base is to totally resist uh, everything that the White House does, and pretty much what Republicans do on Capitol Hill as well. So, I guess that would rule out uh, bipartisanship. But they do want uh, spending and a lot of it on. Roads and bridges and other infrastructure. So if you attach that, that's important. Uh, you can you might be able to get some there. And then there are other things you can do, like a, uh, a, a sort of a spread out increase in the minimum wage. That I mean, Democrats just you know get thrilled by that. So if you can come up with a few things like that, you might get enough Democrats, not a majority, but enough to have a bipartisan bill and uh, and get it through. And it can help the economy no- enormously because the core of the idea of a of a partial uh, partial tax reform, just a couple of tax, well, one big tax cut and, and one other thing. The tax cut would cut the corporate rate from 35 to 20 percent, and you'd repatriate all those uh, trillions of dollars overseas uh, and, and get tax revenue for it, but bring them back to the United States. And I think on the basis of that, uh, you can refer to it as a jobs bill because it will create a lot of jobs. But your main point that you make is that it has to be simple. It mm-hmm. has to be simple. Mm-hmm. The the major flaw in the health care bill being not only that it was a health care bill mm-hmm. and thus doomed, but uh, that it was a complicated health care yeah. bill, as these things always are. You know, some people like myself knew 
a few things that were in it, but nobody knew everything that was in it or even most things that were in it. It was extremely complicated uh, because you were trying to do something very tricky, and that was to get through this narrow tunnel in the Senate called uh, reconciliation. Uh, but that's no excuse. I mean, when you when you send up a a bill like that, uh, you have to you have to accept the fact that a lot of people are not going to know what's in there, and when they don't know what's in there, they're more inclined to oppose it uh, than support it. Right. That's a sensible position to mm-hmm. take. If I if you're proposing some legislation, mm-hmm. but I you're not able to tell me what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, uh, you don't have my vote on it. If you saw many of the talking head heads on television uh, during the fight over the the health care uh, bill, of course, that would have repealed and replaced Obamacare. They didn't know anything that was in the bill. They didn't know what they were talking about. Now, was this all because of the trickiness of the situation of having to use reconciliation and the complicated nature of the bill that was being undone? Mm-hmm. Or was there also, in some measure, the nature of the congressmen who were writing the Republican alternative, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, Paul Ryan is famous for his wonkiness. Indeed. And it is not unknown for wonks to complicate things that don't have to be complicated or mm-hmm. or complicate further than they need to be complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what, you know, Paul Ryan is one of those. I'm a great admirer of Paul Ryan, but if he's going to do health care, he wants to do the whole thing. You know, he wants to really do as much as he can in as many different ways he can to to, to, to re- repeal and replace and get a new health care plan in, and it does get complicated. My idea, and I, which uh, was originally proposed by two great economists, I happen to know them both, Larry Kudlow and Steve Moore, their idea has three parts. I mean, that, I mean that's and they're understandable parts. Cut the corporate rate. Repatriate, repatriate all that money that's been uh, uh, kept overseas. Now that is when, yeah, you, when you lower when you lower the corporate rate, all of a sudden it becomes more attractive to return uh, profits that have been out in. No, no, you have a separate rate. Uh, for repatriation, you know, I mean, they would do – it's been done before. It was done in the early Bush, uh, George W. years. But uh, this one would be 10 percent. Uh, there's a Republican bill that says you would uh, could repatriate these overseas profits on which you have already paid taxes in the countries uh, where you actually made these profits. Uh, theirs would be 8.5 percent. So if you do the two things – one is the business tax cut. Uh, the second one is repatriation. And then the third is just spending on, on infrastructure. And, and people understand that because it's about roads and bridges and airports and things like that. Now, what's not in that kind of deal, <laughs> number one, would be individual tax cuts. Yes, because those are – I mean, that takes a long time. They're very difficult to uh, uh, put together because they're – I mean, they're different rates and different brackets and everything. But that's not the reason you don't want to do it uh, right now. It's because Democrats are are uh, totally opposed to cutting income tax rates, particularly the top rate. They don't want to reduce that. And so you're going to have to uh, – uh, the business tax cut is different because it was on several occasions proposed uh, by President Obama to reduce that rate from 35 to r- roughly 28 percent. On the other hand, uh, he did nothing to get that passed or anything, but he chatted about it. So it gives him a little cover on that one. So as I suggested a little earlier, mm-hmm. I am skeptical of any hope of bringing Democrats on board mm-hmm. because once they've got their guy on the ropes, why let up on the punching? Um, and yet, 
Donald Trump going after the House Freedom Caucus as though they're the enemy, Mm -hmm. that puts him in a jam where he's going to have to get Mm -hmm. some Democratic support Mm -hmm. for anything that he can't bring some of the House Freedom Caucus people along for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And and, 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 politics is tricky. (laughs) Washington is tricky. Let me mention something about the Freedom Caucus and what they did. They they killed uh, the health care bill. Uh, and uh, and anybody who tries to relieve them of that responsibility, I think, is incorrect. But what did they find when they went home over the weekend? They found out that people didn't like that vote. They may not have known what what was in the replacement, but they knew that they that, but they liked the repeal part. That's what Republicans had emphasized so much: the repeal part. And you could get the a, a great uh, reform of Medicaid, uh, and so. Huge numbers of people in the districts of these uh, Freedom Caucus people who killed that bill uh, were were uh, had become very unpopular you know, with their constituents. It wasn't their fear of of uh, President Trump that he's going to come and run against them. He's not going to do that. That's all uh, loose talk by uh, Trump, of which we rarely hear. Right? No, I'm, I'm being loose facetious. Talk. <laughs> The, or, or should I call it fast talk? <laughs> fast, <laughs> fast texting and tweeting. Yeah, but anyway, that's not their worry. Their worry is that the constituents want to get rid of Obamacare, and they blocked it. So that, this is why Republicans are going to try again sometime in, the, in April uh, to try to get through a, a health care bill again, the one that they're going to try to shame uh, these Freedom Caucus members uh, the 20 or so who are shameable, then there are 10 that are going to vote no. They'd vote no even if their mother was in favor of the bill. Uh, but and some of their mothers may be in favor of the bill. They probably are. So if, they, if this comes back for some kind of vote again mm-hmm. in April, is it something significantly different from what the AHCA was? Mm-hmm. Or is it something in, in line with what was already almost on the table? Um, I think it's more the latter that they and in other words, I think the one change they want to make is to actually please some of the Freedom Caucus people, and that is to get rid of the essential benefits uh, thing that that, uh, that says that is actually in the law that says uh, you have to provide uh, every every uh, insurance plan has to provide these ten things, including maternity care and so on. Uh, and I think they're going to try to put that in in some form or another. They'll have to do some sweeteners for the moderates who don't like it. But, you know, they think they have a pretty good idea now of what might pass. I'll believe it when I see it. Now, standard political thinking. Don- Donald Trump has uh, turned standard pol- political thinking on its head uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but standard political thinking would have it be that um, if you're going to have a successful presidency, You've got to load up some things that you can succeed with right at the front Mm -hmm. because your political capital wanes over time. And having some successes bolsters what capital you have and uh, and carries you through your term. Mm -hmm. How much has the failure on health care hurt the Trump administration at this point? It's hurt him a lot. Now, I've thought from the beginning Trump needed to be three for three in 2017. 
He needed to win on health care. He needed to win on tax cuts. And he needed to win on his first Supreme Court nominee. Well, I think he's going to win on Neil Gorsuch. Uh, and he can win on taxes, particularly if he does a part of the tax uh, reform effort early. And they're going to, I believe they're going to try again on health care. So it's possible to get all three. Two out of three you know, it would mean uh, that it was sort of a tie, but but it wouldn't mean that he had had a big year that a president really needs to have for the reasons you stated. It gets harder later on. Um, what about so we'll one say, out of three? One out of three, uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> and, it won't, it, and it won't get any better. Is there time to do the simplified tax reform mm-hmm. before returning to the health care yeah, I think so. Sure, you can do it. And uh, I don't think that's exactly the plan. Remember now, neither Trump nor Republicans on Capitol Hill have uh, have embraced uh, uh, this simplified plan. I'm for it. And uh, the uh, the two economists who originally drafted the, uh, 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 the tax plan for Trump during the campaign are for it. But, uh, you know, you really need uh, some folks at the White House and, and maybe Paul Ryan on Capitol Hill to go for this. Be smart if they did, but uh, they didn't listen to my advice in the past. Well, and as we learned just uh, here a few minutes ago, if they had listened to you <laughs> yeah. just back in February, yeah. <laughs> they'd be in a lot better position right now. And the world would be different. <laughs> <laughs> Fred Barnes, executive editor of The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on The Confab. If you like the sort of inside scoop and analysis you get here at the Confab, come and join us in June for this year's Weekly Standard Summit at Colorado's premier resort, the Broadmoor. The summit features two days of in-depth discussions on the new political scene and features special guest speakers such as Charles Krauthammer, The Wall Street Journal's Kim Strassel, and The Washington Examiner's Selena Zito. And, of course, from the Weekly Standard, Steve Hayes, Bill Kristol, and confab regular Fred Barnes. For more information or to make a reservation, go to weeklystandardevents.com. Now we're joined on the confab by Ethan Epstein, associate editor of the Weekly Standard, who has just returned from South Korea. How did it go? Well, it's still there, which I'm always uh, happy to see when, when, when I'm there. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's it's a fun place to be. Things things are proceeding normally, despite the the psycho thirty miles north of Seoul. Did Did you take in a lot of K-pop while you were there? It's unavoidable. I mean, I heard it in every convenience store. But even if I had wanted to avoid it, which I may have, uh, <laughs> uh, I couldn't have. So, Ethan, um, you've got the cover story this week in the magazine. Congratulations! Thank you. And uh, and it it's about Korea. And it seems that that in Korea, everybody has one of a few names as the family name: mm-hmm. um, Park, mm-hmm. Kim, Moon. And you've managed to do a story that features a Park, Kim, <laughs> and a Moon. It's not hard. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's start with the Park, which is the the until recent president yes. of South Korea, who is no more the president of South Korea. No, and in fact, she's she's tipped to soon be an inmate, in fact, at a Korean prison. So, so as you put it, from the blue house, the residence of the president, to... To the big house, the big exactly. House. Um, so Madam Park, uh, 
was uh, her her claim to fame before she came, became president was she was the daughter of Park Jung Hee, who had been um, a long serving dictator in Korea uh, up until his assassination in 1979. So, on the strength of her name, uh, she was elected president. Uh, she when was she elected president? In 2012, uh, she struggled in office uh, for various reasons, but her presidency didn't really blow up until last fall when it was revealed that she had a really exceedingly strange relationship with a a female friend, a sort of flim-flam mystic type who, as these government documents revealed, was basically pulling the strings on Park. I mean, it was a totally bizarre, baffling story. Although what seems to have been particularly problematic isn't just that this friend was sort of pulling the strings and perhaps doing it through seances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Strange things. But... um, but that the friend was out the back door, uh, was taking advantage of her influence over the president to shake down the massive uh, industrial conglomerates that are the main businesses in in South Korea. That, that's exactly right. So shake sh- them down for for payments. Right. So that that is the criminal element of this. So the you know political element, which which sort of kicked off the crisis, was wow, it's weird that our president is basically being controlled by a cult leader. Uh, what made it criminal was that this woman was basically extorting money, uh, almost $60 million, in fact, uh, from these companies based on, hey, you See, know. Rasputin never it, figured that no, out. No, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I hey, uh, if you want me to, like, tell the president to uh, undertake this business, you might want to, you know, send over $10 million or something. So it's it's not as well known in the States when we think of, you know, scandals at Samsung – we think of blowing up exploding phones, phones yeah. yeah but but it's actually the leadership of samsung that has been exploding over this that's right in fact the the samsung chief uh is incarcerated right now um because he apparently allegedly hasn't been convicted yet but he's as he awaits trial he's he's in jail uh siphoned something like 40 million dollars out of his company and handed it over to this woman um so uh you're quite right. There's been quite a few explosions down at their their headquarters. But but now here we see here's a country that until the 1980s was a dictatorship, mm-hmm. not that long a a democracy, and yet people came out and took democratic action yeah. protesting free speech all of the above to uh to push Park out of office. Yeah, Korea, I mean, is is an amazing place. If you think about it, for, you know, thousands of years, it was effectively, you know, a feudal system and then a dictatorship. This, there was no real concept of the citizen. The people were sort of property of the state. But in just 30 years, uh, they had their first democratic, le- not even 30 years ago, 19, in 1987 was the first democratic election. This really robust civil society has emerged. Um, so I, I kind of think there's a sort of glass glass half full or half empty way to look at what happened here. So, wow, it really shows that uh, this is a healthy democracy that they were able to boot their president. However, it also shows that their president was incredibly corrupt and being controlled by a, a weirdo guru. So, you know, it's both good and bad signs for South Korean democracy. And and it's dangerous times on the peninsula. Um, you have uh, a Kim who is mm-hmm. uh, running North Korea who is trying to sort of outdo his father and his grandfather in ruthless nuttiness. Yeah, I, you know, I, a thought has occurred to me, which I literally never conceived of. I miss Kim Jong-il. I mean, the, the, the son <laughs> uh, appears to be, I mean, he's, he's worse on every level, but most troubling for South Korea is 
I think, and there's evidence that his view of their nuclear program is different than his father's. His father's saw it as, look, it's a deterrent. This is the one way we're going to keep the United States from invading. Kim Jong-un seems more um, geared towards the idea of reunifying the Korean Peninsula um, with him as the leader, of course. I'm for reunification, too, just not on his terms. And if he's thinking about using his nuclear arsenal, does that mean using it by threatening to use it or actually using it in some way? Well, it means both. I mean, one of the smartest analysts of this is a guy named B.R. Myers, who's a professor in Korea. He's been there, I think, about 15 years or so. He knows this stuff really well. Is The idea is to get uh, the United States troops to withdraw and to withdraw the security guarantee, and then at that point basically coerce South Korea, who are obviously not a nuclear power, into... uh, basically going under and surrendering. Um, uh, And then, of course, there's also the war option, too. So the notion that the U.S. might leave South Korea, one, there's a big constituency for that in South Korea. There is, yep. Um, But it it would not have been something that one would think would have been U.S. policy to think about uh, Mm -hmm. lessening influence on on the Korean Peninsula until Donald Trump came along and he's been making noises about, uh, you know, telling South Korea to pay up for the mm-hmm. for the uh, protection or see you later. That's right. So we're at a at a pretty perilous moment right now because, as a result of Park's impeachment, it's very likely that the next president of South Korea, they're going to elect one in a few weeks, will be hostile to America. He'll be a left-wing candidate that has never really been sympathetic. This, to, this is where the moon comes This in. is Mr. Moon, exactly. The, the moon is rising. Uh, and at the same time, you have Trump, who basically, you know, delighted in bashing Korea throughout the campaign. It wasn't just that he resents the troops. He resents the fact that they're making televisions there and they're not making them here anymore. He doesn't like Korea, it seemed like. Although what's interesting, and you point this out in your article— uh, Donald Trump had said similar things about Japan, uh, but you had Shinzo Abe in a position to come and just do total charm offensive. Yeah. He love-bombed yes. Donald Trump. Yes. And um, Donald Trump likes to be love-bombed. Uh, Abe has been uh, so brilliant in his flattery of Trump uh, that it's it, – you know – it was a really bad moment for Korea to not have a president too, because they didn't have someone to send the four thousand dollar golf club to Trump like Abe did. They didn't. They didn't have someone to go. Now, was this a putter or a driver? Do so, we, do we know? I, I I don't actually know. What I do know though is it's gold plated, so it was really Trumpian. <laughs> I mean, Abe studied up. He clearly studied up. Yeah, you know, the the Japanese civil service and foreign service, they're they're pros. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. So so here we have. Trump making noises that uh, U.S. policy toward South Korea uh, may change, um, and and indeed Rex Tillerson has been in Asia saying that U.S. policy toward North Korea may change. What what does he mean by that? So it's it's not clear. I mean, he said something that is objectively obviously true, which is that the policy or quote unquote policy, what Obama called a policy. He called it strategic patience. What it really meant was sitting around and hoping North Korea would disarm has failed. I mean, that's manifestly obvious. You know, that's kind of like my my son (laughs) plays, you know, 13-year-old basketball. Uh And he has a coach who, whenever anybody kind of takes the ball and, and, and kind of tosses a big rainbow across the court to 
to hope that it gets to sure. another player. Yeah. He calls that a wish pass. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you don't want to do wish pass. Wish policy. Yeah. yeah. This, yeah. This, Particularly when like nuclear weapons policy. are involved. Yeah. So Tillerson was absolutely correct just to say that. What was less obvious is what he viewed as the next policy. He hinted that the U.S. will con- consider military action. The usual suspects flipped out about that. Uh, uh, it would obviously be difficult because North Korea has um, obscured where it keeps things in a big way. But just the fact that they're making threats, the hope is will, for one, be enough to uh, push China to actually take uh, bigger action against South Korea, which they could – or uh, North Korea, sorry, which they could do. Now, what's going to be the policy coming out of out of South Korea at this time where – the U.S. may be looking to get tougher on North Korea. You may find yourself with South Korean leadership that's looking to get friendlier with North Korea. Yeah, it's a really bizarre moment right now where uh, Moon, the guy who's tipped to be the next president, he's been extremely gentle in his rhetoric about North Korea, even as North Korea has gone on effectively a rampage over the past, past few months. Not only have they been firing off test missiles uh, nearly weekly— using an internationally banned chemical weapons in a crowded airport to assassinate the brother of the leader. I mean, they've they've been completely ballistic recently, yet... Quite quite literally. Quite literally. Uh, intercontinental ballistic, yes. But um, uh, Mr. Moon still cl- wants to pursue some kind of detente. The silver lining for those of us who are against the kind of detente is it's not clear to me North Korea wants a detente. So they... It takes two to tango, and I'm not so sure North Korea is interested in in that. So, is the uh, is the left wing politics of Mr. Moon is this something that there is robust support for in South Korea, or is it just a reaction to you know the the last the last mm-hmm. president was the conservative and was corrupt, and we're getting rid of her? Let's go the you know swing the pendulum. Definitely a big part of it is she. I, her approval rating at one point was 3%. So it was going to be really hard for her party to recover from that. Moon is also benefiting because there are a bunch of candidates. In fact, Park did such a – the conservatives split into two parties. So there are going to be two conservative candidates, so that's going to be a boon to Moon. There's also going to be a centrist candidate. So he's going to win the presidency with something like 35% of the vote. It's almost as if he won't have a big mandate to use uh, American nomenclature. But I, I don't think we should view his victory as necessarily an endorsement of his policies by the majority of the people, because it won't be that. And does he reach out directly to Kim Jong-un? So he said something extremely provocative in December, which is that his plan is to go to Pyongyang before he goes to Washington. Now, when I was there, I met some government officials, and they sort of spun that. Like, oh, no, 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 but I'm sure he would get permission from Washington before he did that, blah, 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 blah. But it's... Um, it's clear that his priorities will be about doing something to get better relations. So what do we look for next to see how things are headed in Korea's? Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see at, if Moon is elected, which I expect he will, what kind of noises he makes about North Korea. And, well, what will his first meeting with Trump uh, be like? It would, it would actually be fun to be a fly on the wall on that one, I'd say. Bring the golf club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Ethan Epstein, associate editor of The Weekly Standard cover story this week in the magazine. Check it out. Ethan, thanks for joining us on the Confab. Thank you very much.
That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.